Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello and welcome everyone to a new episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron, and with me on this second trip to Z-Land in a row are my best friend and co-host, Patch. Hey, everyone. And our traveling companion, Coles. Good evening. Gents, we had a great conversation last week about Zombieland, and we were all pretty excited for this long-awaited sequel, so I'm anxious to find out what you both thought of Zombieland. Double tap, I also wanted to let you guys know that I'm excited because this is my final recording in my current apartment, okay? So, listeners, you probably aren't aware of this because I spend a lot of effort in removing the annoying noise in the background. I'm going to leave it for a second. Uh, Maybe you hear that. I don't know. But there's this noise, right, that comes down the street, and I despise it. And so I am moving away from said noise. I am very excited to be recording in a much quieter studio, a.k.a. my bedroom, in the future. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, let it be known, listeners, that this is his not-so-subtle way of saying any edits that he has to make, he's going to direct towards me as being my fault. That is a good point. I will gladly do that. It's also (laughs) my way of pointing out that now, with moving into a new studio, a.k.a. bedroom, and uh, wanting to get a mixer so we can do a little more with our audio, it would be nice to have some donations uh, to help purchase said mixer. And if you would be interested in doing that, you can visit feelandfilm.com slash nope you can't you can visit patreon.com slash feelandfilm and uh you know throw us a couple bones and eventually a mixer will be ours guys i digress listeners this is your spoiler warning everything past this point forward is a detailed conversation about zombie land double tap so carry on at your own risk Real quick, before we get into our thoughts, we have a voicemail from a listener who wanted to share her thoughts on ZDT. Enjoy. Hi, it's Renee from the Facebook group. Like, oh my God, can you hear me? This film is totally not the best. The sequel seriously doesn't hold a shotgun to his predecessor. Yeah. So I laugh when things are funny. You might laugh too, and that's cool. The writers meant for it to be totally funny. My brain felt so random because the plot just was not amazing. Yeah, it was so meta at times, you know? Okay, so you know how things will reference other things in society and whatever. Yeah, this film did it to itself. Crazy. I know. It was a bit much, and I've heard people say that about me. I don't get it. Anyways, Zoe Dutch is, like, way the best. Her character is like a whole situation. She's the cherry on top of my bubblegum ice cream cone. I guess there are some other actors in the film. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough of that. Enough of that. Thank you to Madison. I mean, Renee. Now it's one-word takeaway time. So let's find out what we thought. Uh, Coles, what was your one-word takeaway? Was this movie worth the wait for you? The one-word takeaway... I have it's indistinguishable. This film really added nothing more to what I've already had seen from the first film so much that if I didn't see this film, I only watched Zombieland, I probably would have been just content. Um, there's nothing different except for a few new characters and a few new areas that we're in traveling around with the main characters. But overall, it's more of the same, same thing as you saw in the first Zombieland. That it definitely is. Patrick, where did you land with your one word takeaway? Well, being one of two people in the theater was kind of creepy, but this is during the middle of the day. So I didn't feel like the zombie apocalypse had happened, just that people don't go see movies of this caliber at two in the afternoon on a Friday. Sad, but true. The word that I could really only sum this up with is the word series. And that really comes down to two things. One, it reminded me of how great this could have been as a series limited or otherwise because of the way that it plays out you get that repetition you get some things that you're used to which you appreciate in a tv series but also on the downside it's because of the series of callbacks to the previous movie the series of props that were really amazing it felt like just a series of events happening without any real cohesion i understood the narrative just fine i mean i could tell you what the plot is but nothing about it felt very fresh it really felt like going through the motions not even of the previous entry but just as like 
hey, we have these characters. We probably need to use them before Disney buys them. And we need to put something together. And I felt like Double Tap did that. Well, it's funny that you just said it didn't feel fresh because I actually came away with a one word that is the opposite of that. And that is stale. <laughs> so burn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I realize this word probably sounds pretty negative, but I did overall actually still enjoy the film. It's just that the definition of stale is no longer new and interesting or exciting. And that is precisely the experience I had with Zombieland Double Tap. Was it worth the wait to see these characters back together again? Ah, uh, not really. I certainly liked some moments of the movie, but as a whole, it just didn't have the brilliantly paced and balanced comedy, action, and heart, most of all, uh, that the first film did. I found it to be extremely repetitive in pretty much the worst ways, and that canceled out some of the film's strengths. And for me, it resulted in an overall underwhelming experience. Well, last week, when we discussed Zombieland, we went into this cautiously hopeful that the new characters in Double Tap would be just as interesting and memorable as our main crew. So my first question for you guys is about the characters. And were the new survivors positive additions to this world? for you the two new characters that i really like was nevada played by rosaria dawson and albuquerque played by luke wilson let me get that right because in my review i accidentally put him down as owen, owen. wilson <laughs> yes <laughs> that's acceptable and, yeah and a friend had came by and corrected me so i was able to change it in time they were great only because i felt like that nevada if there was to be a sequel to this film, Nevada would fit right in perfectly. I mean, she's the love interest for Tallahassee. She has her own like little backstory that hasn't been explored yet, which could be an interesting wrinkle to the monotony of just following around the four characters. And the whole Albuquerque and Tallahassee, you know, showdown was kind of cool seeing both of these like really like gung ho and manly guys really go at it. Um, good thing that these new characters, they didn't really fit in for very long. Like, they're there in spots, and then they go away, and we follow the main characters, and they come back in spots again. Outside of those two characters, the other ones were not it. The character of Madison, her ditzy, blonde, I'm not aware of anything that's going around in the world, and I say, like, random stupid stuff just for laughs. Um, it felt like something out of a spoof film from the early, late 2000s, like a scary movie. She, she would be perfect for a scary movie, but I don't know about this film. And the Berkeley, I knew from the trailer, I knew what he was going to be. I knew he was going to be a peace-loving hipster, um, sings cover songs on the guitar, smokes a lot of weed, just carefree and pacifist, not worried about wars. About I knew that's what his character was, and it was sad to say that that's all he was. He was nothing else more than that. I don't know why he was in this film. I don't even know why the idea, we'll get into later about the whole last third act with Babylon and everything. Um, the, the new characters didn't really do anything for me outside the, outside of Nevada and Albuquerque. Patch, how did it go for you? Well, the problem with sequels, if the story's not interesting and the characters don't really appeal to you, is that you focus on everything else. And I legitimately walked away from this movie being incredibly impressed with the set design, with all of the... Wow. <laughs> I know. But, and that's not saying... That's really more elevating the creativity behind the, the visual effects and the ability to use iconic American things to get our guys from point A to point B. I love this, the scenes at the White House. I thought that was pretty fantastic. And in the vein of Zombieland, you have a group of people that get a chance to play in an environment that wouldn't normally get that, that kind of, uh, that kind of play. I mean, if, if it's me, I'm thinking I get to walk into the White House. The first thing I'm going to do, yeah, I'm going to go to the Oval Office and prop my feet up on the, on the Roosevelt desk. Why? Because I can. And in that vein, I felt a lot like Tallahassee, but Zombieland already did that. We, we get that appeal from the first movie. The characters themselves didn't really add much to it. And I felt like they were, thrown in to give our original four something to do with the exception of the characters you mentioned, Coles, they felt like they had an iterative purpose in the lives of these characters because of the fact that they were connected in that way. 
you know, we have Tallahassee connected to Nevada in a way that made me interested. But you have these other characters like Berkeley and like Madison that are really there for comic relief and there to be punchlines for our main characters. And that's not really a good use of character development for me, especially with the sequel. Had this been part of the original, characters can be thrown away, no problem, because they're dispensable apart from your original four. would make perfect sense. But anytime you include new characters like this, especially in a cast that's not very big, with the exception of zombie extras, which I would love to have been one, by the way, just saying, or part of Babylon, you are focused on characters that are given names. And to me, if you're going to give characters names, you need to give them some kind of value. And to me, I felt like these other characters, like Berkeley and like Madison, felt like throwaways. They felt like punchlines. And they were funny. They had their moments. But it wasn't enough for me to say, yeah, these were great additions. Since you mentioned set design, I'm going to throw out my absolute favorite thing about this movie, and that is that there is a t-shirt in this movie that says Law and Mordor, and I want it bad because that was awesome. Um, I agree with you, and I actually have another question that's weirdly, you don't have to answer this, but it's more of a rhetorical thing, is why do we all go by our city names? Like, I guess, how I understand why. That's the wrong question it's how does everyone across the world who happens to be a survivor have the same thought to go by their city name i just find that very unrealistic which it may seem counterproductive to think logically about this movie but there are several things in this movie that bother me on a logical side of the scale and this is one of them it's like okay i get like one or two people going by that and then telling other people that hey you know like let's go by our city name so we don't get attached but it's not like there was a broadcast, was there? Was there a broadcast put out? That emergency broadcast system, please stop using your real name. Please use your city name of origin in the future when you meet other survivors. Let, let me chime in just real quick and I'll let you go, Class. This was the thing that stood out to me. When you spend enough time in a world that doesn't have a lot of explanation for a narrative of an hour and a half, that's fine because you're not concerned with it. The longer you spend in it, the more you're asking yourself, wait a minute, how do they still have power? Wait a minute, how are they able to make eggs? Wait a minute, those segways shouldn't have any kind of power because of this. Why do those candles survive when everything else is destroyed? My head went to always answering those questions as opposed to enjoying the story. And again, that goes back to the set design. I'm like, oh, look, it's the White House. Wait a minute, will we get to see this? Wait a minute, the Roosevelt Room doesn't look like that. You know, these, these things that I responded to that I wasn't supposed to because of the fact that I probably wasn't meant to stay in this land longer than 92 minutes. Yeah, um, that actually went uncovered by me. I'm surprised I didn't um, spot onto that like you did, Aaron. But yes, it seems like that this world, it feels like that there that we're just like expected to just believe that everybody was on the same roll call when it came to the certain rules of Zombieland, which is definitely not realistic and definitely a weird way of looking at things. Like, there's a, there is a lot of things that's illogically just wrong with this universe. I mean, I just feel that the writers expect for us to just kind of agree with this because it's like, hey, it's a zombie apocalypse. This is something that probably will never happen. So we're going to create a world in which all of these things are just together and everybody just follows the same law and order. Um, no pun intended because, I mean, there is no government. There is no law and no order. <laughs> yeah, it, it was constant for me. And like you said, I think you're right, Patrick. I think it's because the story was not grabbing my attention at all. So when, who was it? Uh, Little Rock and Berkeley are driving down the road, right? And she's like, said something about asking him if he smokes weed. And he's like, oh, of course I smoke weed. And he pulls out this gigantic bag of weed. We got one little line of dialogue before that that made us, it was like, oh, it's been three months since you were gone. And the time jumps made no sense. It was like, okay, so if Little Rock has been with Berkeley living together alone for three plus months and driving in this car across the country, you're telling me that he just pulled out of his pants a bag of weed the size of like his head and she had no idea that he smokes weed? That, those kind of things. Those are things I should not be thinking about in zombie. Like I should not ever go to that place. Anyway, I digress. I digress. We'll talk about the story here in a minute. But um, for me, character-wise, I actually might be slightly flipped from you guys in one regard, and that is with 
relation to Madison, the character. I absolutely loved Madison. And I tweeted out right after the film, the first thing I said was, I don't know whether that I'm more annoyed by her, uh, whether I'm, whether I find her more hilarious or whether I'm more attracted to her because it was like a mix of all three. I just loved and hated her so much. And I thought that she was fresh and weird and completely unnecessary. And I thought she felt like she fit in this world to me. Like she felt like someone that they would meet and would be so, <laughs> I'm not going to say soy because that is ridiculous, random, that you would just find this stupid person who'd been hiding in this freezer, right? Like I, she just felt right to me. It didn't feel out of place. I felt like she was there just enough time. Now her story purpose, I completely think that whatever, it, it's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's not worth it for me. But I just enjoyed her character so much, her mannerisms and the way she spoke, and it made me laugh. And so I was like, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to laugh. I'm here to have fun and be entertained. And you are entertaining me right now. I did also like Nevada quite a bit, but I thought there was no real purpose for her. I mean, I enjoy Rosario Dawson being a badass. I'll put it that way. But it was like, okay, I didn't get enough time to really get to know you, and then you two are in love now, or what is happening? I, it just, everything just feels like these characters don't have enough time to get developed rushed, if they're going to be rushed. there long enough. That's yeah. what this feels like. And this is this is kind of an extension of one of my beefs with the original. Because of the fact that it originated as a TV series, you have to crunch all this stuff of ideas into a feature I almost wonder, was this season two? Was this the plot for season two or at least the first couple of episodes? Because that's what it feels like. That's partly due to the fact that the movie itself and the time jump is taking place 10 years after the fact. And they use that fairly well. I like the little callbacks to Madison saying, you know, it'd be kind of cool. I'd love to start a little cab service where people get in random cars that are owned by other people and those people just drive them around, you know, making a reference to Uber. That was cool. I'd like to have heard of more of that. I mean, if you're going to give me it, give me more uh, little meta stuff to what we're experiencing today. But I really felt like this was a script that was in development for a later season of this TV series. But like the first movie, it felt crunched. It felt like, here's a character. Here's what happened. Three months later, we're going to assume some stuff happened. And now they're together. And now weed is in this guy's you know truck or whatever. It doesn't feel like a fully fleshed out narrative. It feels like we're hitting the highlights of what the creators wanted to show from these four characters and to a degree, how to input as much comedy as they can. Yeah. And also the sad thing about the introduction of these new characters is that we still have not really fixed the issue as far as getting more of a full character dive into Wichita and Little Rock. Um, these new characters come in and they're kind of taking away the spotlight of still the issues that we have with Wichita and Little Rock and not really getting to know who they really are. And still, it's, we still are just seeing them as like two sisters who got each other's back. And then Little Rock is having like a little bit of a young adult kind of crisis, wanting to be away from her own. But it's not really adding anything to who they really are and what we already know. Like, I want to see something new that I didn't know that would maybe want to like maybe put my arm around them. But with these new characters coming in, it kind of blocks and distracts away from that from that matter, from that work. Yeah. And Albuquerque and Flagstaff, for me, also were really a source of my frustration with the repetitiveness of this. So. I understand why you would like Albuquerque specifically and just kind of the mirror that he plays for Tallahassee and having him look at himself and realize, oh, this is how I come across the people. And that's a very dramatic kind of point to address. And it's not handled dramatically at all. It's handled really just humorously and stupidly. And I was driven nuts by these two characters. I actually wrote in my notes, these guys are here for dot, 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 I guess, question mark. I don't know. I don't understand what I was supposed to necessarily get out of them other than if they were supposed to be a mirror to therefore teach a lesson to our two primary characters by seeing something in these guys that re reflected back and they said, oh, I need to maybe not be this way, then 
their existence could be both humorous and point have a point. But I didn't get that from them at all. I didn't get that change. It just felt like they were there for humor reasons, which made, again, no logical sense that they would be so dadgum specific. And this is where that repetitiveness came in with the rules. First of all, the fact that the rules were there and just kept being repeated over and over. It was the same damn rules. I'm sorry. That made me mad. That made me mad. Like, give me new rules. Like, how hard is it? Come on, Zombieland. How freaking hard is it? That had to be the number one request of fans. Give me more rules. And we got, like, one. But we got all of these repetitive rules. And then we get the same rules, but then this guy that calls them commandments. And we're supposed to think that's hilarious. And I was like, okay, aha, uh-huh, you know, it's funny maybe once. But then he goes through ten or so of them. Anyway, didn't enjoy those two characters being included in this personally at all. I would have liked the comedy more if you had given me doppelgangers of Little Rock and Wichita as well. And if you would have expanded on that, where you have Wichita that says, oh my gosh, I can't believe what I'm watching. And then all of a sudden, out of the back of that truck, you have someone that is essentially Emma Stone's doppelganger being exactly her. I think it would have added to the humor because... When you, you're selling something at that point, you're selling that kind of humor, you're selling that scene, you're selling that series of jokes. As a writer, I'm going to be all in if that's the, if that's the case. I'm going to, if I'm going to sell jokes, if I'm going to sell this scene, let me go all in. Don't just give me two. Give me all four for that matter. Give me three. And then maybe later on, if they still survived, if that wasn't part of the narrative where those guys are killed off, then later on, if they're all together, at some point, have Little Rock's doppelganger show up and be like, hey, guys, sorry, I was out doing blah, 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 blah. It's sort of a, oh, look. there, And maybe that brings in this idea that we have doppelgangers in Zombieland or something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm spitballing here when it comes to writing ideas. But you're right. I think that you need to have more of a purpose beyond just being comic relief. That may sound counterproductive in a movie that is purely that because there's not much drama here and I shouldn't expect it, but at some point it's a bit too much. Well, that is exactly what I want to talk about next, which is the drama because, or the attempted drama, I should say, at least from my perspective, Zombieland primarily dealt with four characters who come together and find new reasons for survival, essentially. And this movie has our group wrestling with their desires for love and, dare I say, normalcy in the case of Little Rock. And this plays out in three major storylines. Wichita and Columbus's potential marriage, Little Rock uh, seeking people her own age, and also a romance with Berkeley, and Tallahassee's love for Elvis and connection with Nevada eventually. Did any of these resonate with you personally in the same way that Little Rock and Wichita trying to get to Pacific Playland in order to give her that one last experience or the guys realizing that these two ladies could provide something to them in companionship that they couldn't have without them. Did any of that come anywhere close to being that way for you? Little Rock's, you know, growing up crisis was one that hit pretty hard. Um, you know, I we all know what it's like when you're a teenager and you're starting to grow up and, you know, you, you still love your parents. You still want to, you know, do as many things you can with them, but you're starting to find your own identity and you want to find other people because human nature is all about connection. So you want to be able to connect with other people who have the same interests and just hang out and have like what you would call a friend to just be that companion for you and to do things that your parents can't do at this point. Because of whether age, whether by work, um, work responsibilities, you know, you're said now you're growing up. So I understood that and I felt comfortable with um connecting with that storyline. The Wichita Columbus marriage storyline, I don't know, it felt just so like cheesy and just like something that could tug at a heartstring with the idea of just like marrying someone when there's a bunch of like things out there that want to eat your flesh and your brains. I that the last thing I'll be thinking about is marrying somebody. And having a kid, that would be the last thing. That's another thing that I liked is that in this movie they took it they took a little little snub at Walking Dead when Columbus is in the bed and he's reading Walking Dead. It's like, oh my god, this is so realistic. This would never happen. I did like that part. So them trying to come up with the storylines like, hey, let's get married just felt weird and weird and wrong for me. It's like if you're trying not to be the Walking Dead, this unrealistic universe, then why would you try to have this 
plot line of two people getting married when there's not going to be anybody to commence the marriage and there's not going to be anybody to grant the divorce, like Columbus says. I looked at – no, I didn't. I'm just going to keep that answer short. But <laughs> I I latched onto the concept because I think all of those things are worth exploring in a post-apocalyptic world. The idea of what's the value of being together and making it official – when there's really nothing to celebrate around you, when there's besides the two people that you're with, I mean, I'm leaving Babylon out because these are people that weren't hanging out with them that they didn't build relationships with, but it felt incomplete. Both of those storylines felt very incomplete to me. I think Little Rock's probably more so than Wichita's because I picked up less on the father-daughter relationship between her and Tallahassee, more so than I picked up on she wanting a romantic relationship and that was fueled by what we saw with Columbus and Wichita. So when it didn't work out at the end, when Berkeley essentially gets together with Madison and she's like, yeah, just go ahead. That was a nice little haha moment. But I'm like, so this whole trip, you're looking for a man, you're looking for a significant relationship. And it really was just a, the more you know, come back to your fake dad come back to your original family and you'll be fine. I mean, we can make the assumption that she'd find somebody in Babylon, but to me, I saw the movie selling me that she was looking for a partner. She was looking for someone that would give her significance, not just a high school friend to hang out with because she spent so much time with this guy. She spent, I don't know how many months with him on the road. It felt like that was going to be either paid off or she was going to, at the very least, get her together with somebody in Babylon or somebody I don't know, but to not give her that conclusion and to really bring it back to her relationship with Tallahassee, that would have been fine had I gotten more of that. But I felt like, give me one or give me the other. Don't don't give me both because both felt really diminished. Yeah, it actually undercut for me Tallahassee's entire arc of the first film because he is specifically grieving from his son's death. And that is what he is missing. And he, Little Rock fills that void for him. And he is not specifically looking to fill that void at any point in... And he is not specifically looking to fill that void at any point in ZDT, and yet he's the one who ends up in a relationship, magically, that has this great significance with Nevada going on forward you know, in the story together with the crew. And so it felt very strange for me that we would specifically be focused in on Little Rock's attempt to find romance, but then it's Tallahassee who actually gets the romance in the end. And it just didn't work for me at all in, in any way. And the whole Wichita and Columbus thing, I'm with you, Kales, 110%. If you told me this, this was a character who had deep-seated religious beliefs or some other reason to feel that the institution of marriage, which effectively doesn't really exist that much in this world anymore at all, would have such meaning, then maybe I would buy that. But for it to be 10 years later, it was hard for me to suddenly stomach that now we need to put a ring on the... You know what I mean? Like, why? Why, after 10 years, do you suddenly need... Now, the film tries to sell us on we've been traveling for 10 years, we find the White House, and we're going to make the White House our home. And so now that we have found a quote-unquote home, then this is where I want to now have this marriage to be consummated or whatever. And I just, it didn't work for me. And the whole Madison coming into play, again, I love the character and I thought she was hilarious, but it also made no sense to me. Because Wichita and he have been together for 10 plus years and the way that their bantering kind of played out, it didn't make logical sense to me because I feel like there would be a lot. I mean, it made sense in, yes, typical teenage type relationships will have this kind of sarcastic kind of nature to them. But when both characters are judging and blaming each other for things, it just I don't know. For some reason, it did not work for me. And it did not make me feel sorry for either one of them. 
And that's kind of what I wanted. Like I, w- I wanted to wish they were going to get back together. And instead it was just like, okay, we're going through the motions and I know they'll be back together. There was never a question for me. This is where the time frame becomes a hindrance to the franchise because with that length of time between these two movies and buying into the fact that 10 years has taken place, it would make more sense to see these characters a year later, you know, give us some exposition saying we're two years into this with my new family and we are trying to settle in. That's still a young relationship. You're two years in, you're getting to know each other, but we're talking 10 years. I just celebrated like 10 plus years of marriage recently. I know my wife pretty well. There's always things I'm going to learn, but to have someone leave and then hook up with the pretty girl at the mall, which is really what they're selling here, it doesn't make logical sense to the world that we've been introduced to in the previous installment and the time frame in which we're getting re-entered into it. And that's that's a, that's a struggle for me because it makes it less believable. And sometimes, I don't say sometimes, most of the time, if not all the time, even with comedy, even if you're not taking things seriously, you have got to establish some kind of boundary, some kind of framework, some kind of rules, if you will, to help your audience understand so that they can get the comedy. So they can say, yeah, 10 years together, you're probably going to react this way. Had we seen them act like a 10-year-old couple, that would make more sense. But it sounds, it looks like we're seeing a couple who has spent a year together and now they're kind of tired of each other. I didn't even really even know that we were 10 years out. Like, I knew that the films were 10 years apart, but the film doesn't really even sketch out if they're, like, does, do they say in the film that it's, like, 10 years from when they first met, or is it just, like, something we're supposed to come off and understand? They mention it in passing really, really early on in that stylized sequence of them killing um, zombies for, like, 10 minutes. The time framing, the framing between these two films, I think that is what hindered me, like, getting with this film because even then you know with a film coming out in 2009 if you could have said it like maybe 2013 2014 then we still are able to get along with the freshness of everything you know with so much time delayed you know the whole idea of a marriage you know like you said the characters don't really act like they're in a 10-year marriage it felt like to me that this is like maybe like a year after the events of Zombieland it didn't even feel like it was for a long long time yeah, I completely agree with you. It would have made a lot more sense had we not tried to do a 10-year jump, I think. And it would have felt a lot better. I also had issues with the Tallahassee and his whole Elvis thing. I I mean, I, I guess Elvis was supposed to replace his search for Twinkies in this movie. Is that essentially what we were doing a one-for-one swap with? It was weird. It was strange. It didn't feel natural. Again, with the illogical strangety of you know her going off with berkeley and then magically them happening to go by graceland on their way to babylon and so it just works out perfectly for everybody to get where they want to go that did nothing for me at all like zero actually and it had had his love for elvis been some reoccurring thing since very beginning of the first movie that was being paid off in the second sequel or what's in the sequel i think i would have enjoyed that a lot more and then there was the whole weird thing about his Blackfoot heritage as a joke, which ultimately pays off in what is a pretty interesting sequence of events towards the end. I wanted to know if you guys thought this was insensitive at all. Me and my girlfriend were sitting there and we just rolled our eyes at it. My girlfriend, she's actually a real Blackfoot and Sioux tribe member. You know, her family lives on the reservations here in Washington she she kind of took me aside after the movie we talked about. It. She was like, I wasn't really insensitive. Like, and I didn't really feel like, you know, charged or triggered or insensitive to it. I just rolled my eyes and just kind of like was like, whatever, because this is a story I've heard all the time. Like, it's very disrespectful to the real natives and tribe members out there, people who are really members of it. I kind of do also hate it in films when characters like this do go like, oh, I was part Cherokee or I was part, I was related to Geronimo. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's dumb. It's stupid. I don't even know why they even added that in there. Like if, if Tallahassee already didn't need a reason to like for the badass things he does, why would, do we need to add him that he's like part 
Indian or part Native or anything like that. Like, just keep him as Tallahassee and just, like, keep him trucking along with what you started in the first film. I don't understand why they added that in. <laughs> Can I change my one more takeaway? Uh, what are you going to change it to? Punchline? <laughs> sure. I say that because I really am starting to understand with the conversation here that things were set up in this movie to be punchlines later on. At no point in Zombieland did we get any kind of recollection that, at least as far as I can remember, you guys can correct me, that Tallahassee was in love with Elvis. Is that correct or incorrect? I- I don't know. He might have mentioned it in passing something about having a, a love for Elvis's music, but it was nothing that was it wasn't drawn Twinkie attention worthy. to. It was no. not Twinkie worthy. Uh, at, at the very least, it would have been something that he said, you know, eventually I want to get to Graceland because I love Elvis, you know, almost as much as I love Twinkies. That would have been something. Secondly, at no point in Zombieland do we get any hint of Tallahassee saying that he has Native American blood. Yet in both of these, the big events, the big reveals that were, frankly, entertaining to me were the Buffalo Jump and the Hound Dog Hotel, both of which became punchlines for lines that we were introduced to 30 minutes earlier. Or maybe the Buffalo thing came later. But that frustrates me because to me, that's like a long stand-up routine. Stand-up comedians are really great. The ones that I enjoy, which is ironic, are those that throw in a little zinger at the beginning and then pay it off later on. Aaron Sorkin does this really well in his writing. He'll say something at the beginning of an episode of West Wing that will pay itself off, not necessarily important to the main plot, but as a way to kind of bookend an episode, which is really fantastic. But again, that's an episode. We're not talking about a movie here. And I felt really cheated because otherwise you could tell me that Tallahassee didn't really have a point to this movie. He did not have a purpose outside of his companionship, his father figureness to Little Rock, which could have been done a lot more. I felt like they took Woody Harrelson's character and they said, you know what? You know what would be cool is if we did. I felt like they were backwards. In other words, I felt like they said, you know what we could do? We could end up at Graceland. Well, how do we get there? You know what? I'll bet Tallahassee loved Elvis. Let's give him that backstory. Okay. Hey, you know what we could do at the end of the movie to finish it all off because we got all these zombies coming and we don't know what to do with them. Let's do a Buffalo jump. How do we do that? You know what? Who, you know, he'd be a great character for that to have Buffalo heritage. Would it make sense? Tallahassee. I felt like that's what the writers were doing. They were like, here are these cool things that we could reveal, but we need to find a way to get to them. So let's try to get there the laziest way possible. Yes. I mean, these are the writers of Deadpool. Let's let's bring it back and remember that these are the writers of Deadpool. And this is the comedy and the humor that has been successful for them and that they were being praised for in between the time they wrote Zombieland and now. And I think that it shows here that it's not a thoughtful, deep, dramatic kind of humor that maybe we all hoped for. And frankly, this did not sit well with me and i found it very insensitive and it's probably just because of the journey i've been on this specific year in fact but like it it is cultural appropriation okay and i i'm not trying to be the guy that calls everybody out for everything but it is cultural appropriation like by definition that's what's happening here instead of just saying i read a book and or i'm a big history buff and one of the things that used to happen in the you know, days of, of American Native Americans is they would do this thing where they would hunt buffalo and run them off a thing. And then instead of him trying to co-op that culture, he is just reenacting something that he has read about and found fascinating and appreciates himself. Instead, he is taking it on himself as if he is the one that is getting praise for being the character that is doing the Indian thing. And I just, it it doesn't work for me. It makes me kind of upset because that's what it is. And frankly, Native American culture is something that I learned just recently in a class I took um, uh, about undoing institutional racism. I wasn't even thinking about Native American racism when I went to this class, but we had some Native Americans present and realizing and learning about, duh, oh my gosh, like it goes so far beyond just even African Americans or Asian cultures 
like these these things exist too and so i feel like it was writers who were like well you know we're we're not going to be dumb and make a black joke but you know what we could make some indian jokes that's what it felt like to me and i, and I just was like ooh, i don't like this and it makes me even angrier because i love the action side of the payoff yeah, it's just lazy comedy. It, it reminds me of other comedy films and where there's a white character and he may come across a group of black people and then there's a scene where like he's meeting them, he's very unsure, he's nervous around them and then two scenes later he's walking around with like braids and a gold chain and just singing all this slang and everything. It's knockoff comedy. G- generic brand name Wonder Bread comedy. Well, speaking of comedy, another thing that we had really hoped for was that the rules of Zombieland and the zombie kills of the week were going to be fresh and funny, just like the ones in the first movie. And I already kind of tipped my hand, I guess, at how I feel about some of that. But I wondered how those stylistic elements worked for you guys, because they seem to be played up a lot in this movie. And zombie kill of the week in particular was something we were curious about, like how that would have worked in a series. Coles, did it do anything new for you? Did it get you interested to see how they integrated those elements? I was excited for any chance that we were going to get some new rules or new tactics or ways to survive in this world. And yet we didn't get any of that. And then we get a scene where both of these guys, where Columbus and Flagstaff are pretty much just like having a battle about which rules are better and better. And it's like, it's like one rule is this. And then there's another rule, which is just like, they mean the same thing, but yet it's called commandments, and I guess it's supposed to be something that we're supposed to to just like, wow, like, commandments, they're so holier than thou. Like, I didn't laugh at any of that. I mean, people in my audience were, but I didn't see what was so funny about it. I mean, it's just, like I said before, my one more takeaway, it's like this film doesn't really add nothing to the elements that we already love. The rules are not changed. The story beats are exactly the same. I mean, we're driving around. We're going to we'll get some good scenes of good punish of zombies. And then maybe we'll have some characters who feel like they want to get away and they have to depend on their own. And they're, we're trying to go to a destination and everybody reaches this destination. And then we have a big old action scene to top everything off. It was like it was like the screenwriters were just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, which doesn't do well for this concept because it becomes very formulaic and tiresome. And the zombie kills for the zombie kills of the year, first the first scene was cool. I mean I like the idea of someone using farm equipment like that and just turning a zombie into like a like you go to return to a style of hey however they call them when they're finished like that. But that was a very cool scene. But then the second one was so ridiculous no I, i'm not i'm not accepting this even in this the crazy tower world, of pizza kill zombie kill <laughs> the, ever whatever century i don't remember what they said the guy gets a a carjack like it looks like a little mini carjack that you would put on like a toyota or something and he jacks up the leaning tower of pizza which yes is leaning but you do remember that building weighs tons right and he jacks it up and it falls over and i literally just close my eyes and that's I was like, what is going on here? Like, we're heading into, like, Disney cartoon Nickelodeon animation territory with this. Um, no, nah, um, this movie doesn't really do anything new with the stylistic elements. Like, everything stays the same, and you're not excited by anything in it. Some of that familiarity was what I was looking forward to. I think the zombie kill of the week with the farm equipment was on par with what we expected from the first movie. I like the concept of a kill of the year, is what it's called, zombie kill of the year, which eventually became zombie kill of the century. It earned it for sure. I think that was an epic way to kill a lot of zombies, uh, offensiveness notwithstanding. And as a, I didn't answer the question, but yeah, I, I felt, I felt pretty uncomfortable with that sequence as well, that you don't have to attach yourself to a, a culture that you're not a part of. And I can understand why the writers did that, because there is a cultural joke that's been going around for years, how every person in America is like, oh, yeah, I'm 132nd Cherokee or I'm 116th this. But in a culture where you have more awareness, more responsibility to be aware of other cultures, not just the predominant ones, you need to be able to have more respect than that and there's ways to do that again this is not a stand-up comedy show i guess apparently they think it is because i've mentioned stand-up comedy several times in my comments but with regard to like the rules and the things that were were introduced i will say for the purposes 
for their own particular purposes, introducing or getting us introduced to these doppelgangers. I, I, I thought the commandments were fun in terms of showing the fact that we do have two people that exist. I love the little bromance that, <laughs> that those two had with each other. And for my money, my favorite scene was that entire sequence that was essentially one shot. I don't know if that was true one shot sequence, even though it was multiple shots with, with guns. But if it was one like camera shot the whole time, that's really impressive. About halfway through, I'm going, Hey, the camera has not cut away. That's some pretty fantastic choreography. And I thought the lines were delivered pretty well. They made sense to the tone of the movie up to that point. And so that was actually a really great scene. I just felt like it was the, the peak of the movie for me. Well, what about the gore? Did you guys have any problem with the gore? Cause I felt like this was a lot more gory and a lot bloodier than the first film. And I kind of cringed a little bit cause I had my daughter with me and she seemed to really like the movie and it didn't bother her. I, so, but it was definitely jarring during the opening sequence. I thought when we were going in slow-mo killing zombies up to the white house, I also thought it was interesting to introduce these three specific types of zombies and then completely ignore one of the three types, the ninja. Don't know where that ever came into play. If it did, I don't remember. And I was like, well, why do that if you're not going to have that guy matter ever? It's a very truncated movie. I think it's very consistent with the ideas. It's a bunch of, I don't know if there was an edit button with the writers, honestly. Because I think we got a lot in just under, uh, or just over an hour and a half that was really unnecessary. Give us one new, give us one new zombie. Give us the zombie that is hard to kill. Don't give us a homer because any, any payoff jokes were not that funny. The ninja was non-existent. I need that guy that one, again, execution was what I wanted. There were so many starts to a, to ideas that just did not pay off. Yeah, it felt like they um, wrote this script and like they wrote the script once and then they just were just cool with everything in it. Yeah, like the beginning, I was in, I was I was cool with the beginning. Like the new zombies, I was like, okay, so the zombies have involved. I'm happy to see that. I'm happy that we got these new different subtexts of zombies, and I was hoping that they were going to be more incorporated. I mean, the Homer was was put in there for a couple of good funny scenes and but then the other two were just like okay we're going to show you these ones but no get ready for the t-800 just the like the terminator style zombies and that's what took over the forefront so yeah there was a lot of um there was a lot of start and stops um nothing ever really becomes consistent with the style i will go back to the one take shot that patrick was talking about that was very impressive um i was I saw myself wondering, like, oh, okay, so they're gonna they're gonna go at this without no edits, and it's just like the cameras moving all around the rooms and everything. I was like, wow, this may be the best film scene in the whole Zombieland series if we're going off of um, cameramanship and um, technical technical prowess. So yeah, that one scene was the highlight. Everything else was kind of same old, same old. I agree. I, I thought that was a really well shot scene as well, and it was engaging and entertaining. And they weren't really talking anymore and giving me the nonsense that I was annoyed by. So it was fun to watch. Another thing that was fun to watch was the end credits. And Patrick, I'm going to let you take this one first because Bill Murray was your one word takeaway. And last week, I think I might have teased that I saw a name in the credits and I didn't want to tell you what it was. I can't remember if I said that, but it was Bill Murray that I saw in the credits. And I was like, oh, no, what is going to happen? How are they going to bring Bill Murray back? And well, this is how they did it. What did you think about it? Well, first of all, let me just say I love the term being married. I think that's a fantastic little callback to Kingpin and uh, the fact that you have Woody Harrelson's character, Tallahassee, getting educated on what being uh, being married is. So I thought that was great. I liked the mid-credit sequence, but I didn't love it. It felt thrown in. I'm not going to be sad when Bill Murray shows up and does his thing, but I would have liked to have seen him in the movie as part of the narrative. Have him be an undead zombie coming back and somehow still have a little bit of a brain to say, oh, yeah, I remember you and then try to attack or something like that. Having him in this whole Garfield three right before the apocalypse. Again, great idea. 
not really executed well, but I'm not going to blame Murray for that one. There was a scene where Nevada is talking to Columbus and she hints at the fact that she's looking for the person who murdered Bill Murray. So I thought that this scene in joke was a setup that Bill Murray was going to show up as one of the undead or maybe there was some way Nevada had tracked down Bill Murray and maybe she was going to like if she found who killed him try like try to feed like try to feed that person over to Bill Murray feed Columbus so there was may have been a little bit of intrigue but then you don't get any of that it's like it's like they once again it's another start and stop it's like they started but then they don't do anything about it and then you get to the mid credits the mid credits scene was great great I mean like I said last week, any movie with Bill Murray in it is already enhanced because because it's, it's Bill Murray. I mean, he's very lovable. So of course I loved it. The Garfield three jokes. My girlfriend loved that because her daughter is a big fan of the first Garfield. So him making fun of, of um, Garfield is just like something like, oh, like my daughter loves that film, you know. So it was great seeing him going to town on everybody, you know, and everything like that. But it felt like you know someone giving you a piece of a tussie roll and be like, hey, have a nice day. I mean, it's 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 sweet but nothing substantial yeah which is fine in a mid-credits scene i mean that's what you're expecting is not necessarily substantial from a movie like this i did not love it and i was surprised because my audience was like roaring with laughter across the whole theater it was just raucous and people were thinking it was hilarious I grinned a little like, okay, haha, cute joke. We put Bill Murray back in it and we put him back in the past. So he's alive again. I get it. Ah, ha, ha, that's funny. And now we get to see Bill Murray kill some people like zombies or whatever. And it was fine. I, I mean, it gave you the idea that he was just some really, you know, completely non-affected person who just casually was murdering zombies left and right right at the beginning without even thinking about it and it was just natural to him and so i think it plays very well for where it is and i think it wouldn't have ever made any sense in the film i think like if they just tried to do a flashback to that in the middle of the movie or something i don't think it would have worked as well i think it was a great way to throw a little fun thing in the credits and just you know leave it there for for the fans and because I immediately thought of the fans, I thought of people like Patrick who were like, oh, they're going to enjoy getting to see Bill Murray back doing his thing. And uh, for me, it was just like, OK, well, whatever, we can move on. So last but not least, and I think I already know the answer to this. It's pretty evident. But would you guys want Zombieland 3 or a series version of this still to come into existence or are you just done with this no 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 and once again no i i think i've already have gotten enough of what i can get out of this series um this movie honestly felt like that while you can still have some fun with it and i know that a lot of the fans are still going to enjoy it it feels like it's running out of gas with what it can do creatively with these characters with the united states of zombie land and also with the way that, you know, you make these zombies involved. It felt like that this was like the last hoorah they can pull out. And honestly, if they do do a third one, there is a slight little chance that, you know, some interest will peak. But honestly, I'm done with this concept as a whole. I wouldn't mind seeing a TV series come out of this. I would also not be opposed to seeing a third movie where a lot more is taken away where gas is no longer a thing where you have to walk. I'm thinking we're going to call it zombie land cardio because they have to walk everywhere. Or we have kids of these four or three or whoever. Um, I mean, there's a lot of places you can go, but Gilles, I agree with you. If you tap into that comedy again, if you try to go back to the well, I think you're going to annoy your audience more than actually appreciate it. And also don't bring back Bill Murray. <laughs> because that has that has kind of worn itself out. I don't really want to see a, a sequel, but it would have to be a serious deviation and a serious advance of the world that has been created for me to be interested. Yeah, I'm a big no on all fronts. I'm done. I have zero interest in revisiting with this particular team. The idea of Zombieland is great. The characters, the main four, are great and they're awesome, but I don't think that there's anything left to do with them at this point. 
personally, I think that they're played out and this kind of ends it in a place where I'm, I'm just not interested anymore uh, to find out what takes place. I'd just like to let them ride off into the sunset and be done. I think the actors did a good job of trying to seem like they were interested and engaged, but the wait between 10 years from now to the sequel or from the sequel, whatever, from the original film to the sequel was too long. And it just would have played so much better. Even the same movie, I probably would have responded to better like eight years ago or seven years ago. But there's something about this gap that just didn't work for me. And at this point, I'd say we just let let it go. And uh, we're going to let the episode go now because we are coming to the conclusion. So we hope you've enjoyed listening. What about our connecting points, Patrick? Are we well, uh, not going to yeah. do our connecting points? Uh, I figure based on the tone of the conversation, we can just move right into the close of this episode. But if you <laughs> want to affirm or confirm or whatever, we can do that. Well, now, listeners, is the time of the episode that we are going to do our connecting points, which apparently Patrick does not have prepared. Coles, what about you? Did you have a connecting point? My connecting point will just be the um, Babylon Last Stand sequence. One thing that I did love about the first Zombie Land was that it ended off on a high note with the amusement park um, sequence, where we get to see a bunch of inventive ways for zombies to get killed. This, um, the Babylon Last Stand was great because, you know, we get to see the monster truck that was introduced early on by Albuquerque get used to satisfying effect with running over zombies, like their bugs and everything. I thought that was pretty cool. And the buffalo jump, while, uh, you know, I was still, still kind of annoyed by the whole, um, native heritage thing. I did love that, you know, when Tyler has to get on to the lunch, he jumps and then all the zombies are just, coming down and falling down to the ground. It's great. It's comical. You know, it's um, another great ending sequence for the film. Other than that, I didn't find any other scene worthy of a connecting point. Well, I didn't think you were actually going to have one. I don't have one either. (laughs) Nothing came close to really leaving me with any sort of emotional takeaway at all. And that was a bummer for me in this movie. I I really needed that. And I think had I just had something anywhere in this film, even one specific storyline to kind of latch onto that gave me the feels a little bit it would have elevated it significantly but it it didn't have that and so yeah not really great for me i do agree though that the buffalo jump sequence and the entire action climax in babylon was really cool really well designed really fun and i was surprised by the buffalo jump and the way that that was brought back. I was not expecting it. I actually thought at one point that he was going to sacrifice himself, which was kind of a callback to the thing that happened in the first film where I thought he was going to sacrifice himself. I just thought it was done with a lot better dramatic weight in the first film. But I thought, oh my gosh, he's going to jump off this freaking thing in order to kill himself. And then when he catches it, I'm like, yes, and oh, okay, now I get it. So that was a good scene, but not quite like, for me, you know, connecting point necessarily level. But now, Patrick, you are welcome to uh, continue and uh, wrap us up there, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> We're glad you guys joined us. And uh, if you don't agree with us, sorry. And if you do, congrats, because we love you uh, more now, because, you know, whatever. Kales, where can people find you on social media to continue this conversation or just chat with you in general? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram under the same username, Black Nerd Magic, and you can find me on Facebook by my real name, and we can connect. And if you want to hear Kales more, you will get that opportunity to later this week, because he'll be joining me to cover our donor pick, as chosen by our amazing patrons, 28 Days Later. And then after that, we're going to be bringing back Jacob Neff to ring in Halloween properly with our conversation on the 1984 edition of Ghostbusters. I'm sad that I have to say the 1984 edition, but whatever. Aaron Kales, thank you guys for a great conversation, and we will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. 
If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.